Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class. So, welcome again to our weekly Catechism class. We have reached Lord's Day 20, and our instructor is still teaching us the doctrine that lies beneath the words of the historic Apostles' Creed. Now, this is important for us. We're part of the historic Church. We are at one with believers who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb throughout all ages. And you'll have noticed that although we have spent quite a lot of time working our way through what the Creed teaches us about the Father, God the Father, and especially God the Son, our our Lord Jesus Christ, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried, that he descended into the grave, that he rose again from the dead on the third day, that he ascended into heaven, where he sits on the right hand of God, from whence he shall come to judge both the living and the dead. Now, we've we've gone through that, and that's quite a lot to learn. It's taken us around 40 episodes, and believe me, we have not even scratched the surface. But when we compare what the Creed, and therefore the Catechist, teaches us about the Father and the Son, with what they teach us, the Creed and the Catechist, uh, about the Holy Spirit, it may cause us some surprise. The Creed merely says, I believe in the Holy Ghost. One single phrase. And our teacher follows that with one simple question. Lord's Day 20, question 53. Where he asks, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? And the answer we must give, first he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, he is also given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. Now, when you think of that, that really makes the Catechist a lot different from modern evangelical churches, where there is such a huge emphasis on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit among believers. Some of our Pentecostal and charismatic friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord, may even say that we in the Reformed churches are at fault. We underplay, they will say, the work of God the Holy Spirit. We underemphasize that. But do we? Is the Catechist guilty of making less than he should in the Heidelberg Catechism of the Holy Spirit and his work? Well, actually, I think not. I'm going to read to you the words of Jesus in John 16 verse 13 to verse 14. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Let's think about that. Our Reformed understanding of the place of the Holy Spirit in worship is actually reflective of the primary work of the Holy Spirit, which is to glorify Christ. 
when we're singing our praises to the Lord Jesus, when we're praying to him, when we're worshipping him, when we're learning about him, about Christ, that's when the Holy Spirit is actually doing his work in our midst, directing our thoughts and our praises towards the Lord Jesus. And secondly, our understanding of the place of the Holy Spirit in worship is reflective of the biblical revelation of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, which reveals to us much more about God the Father and God the Son than it does about God the Holy Spirit. And that's not at all surprising, considering that the Holy Spirit's role is Christocentric, glorifying Christ. And considering that it was the Holy Spirit who inspired the biblical writers, who then merely reflected the Spirit's own emphasis on God the Father and God the Son. So the Heidelberg Catechist and the Creed, the historical creed, and indeed the historical worship practices of the Reformed churches simply reflect the work and the focus of the Holy Spirit himself. Now let's look at the question and answer. The Catechist here asks us what we believe about the Holy Spirit in Lord's Day 20 and question 53. And he divides his answer into two parts. He talks firstly about the person of the Holy Spirit and then he talks secondly about the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to follow that example. In this episode, we're going to look very briefly at who the Holy Spirit is following the teaching of the Catechist. And then in our next class, we'll see what the Holy Spirit does. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. Let's learn about the person of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing we need to discover is the most basic of all. It is that the Holy Spirit is a person. Our catechist in his answer says, He is together with the Son, true and eternal God. He calls him He. As we learned a few months ago in our class, God is three distinct persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit in one God, co-equal and co-eternal, and we call this the Trinity. And that brings us to our very first statement about the divinity of the Holy Spirit. He is a person and not an inanimate force, a he, not an it. Now, I know it's easy to get confused. If you read the AV, for example, in Romans chapter 8, you might see a passage that reads like this. Romans 8 and verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, if you look at the Greek text for a moment, the Textus Receptus, on which the authorised version is based, uh, reads there, Aito to Pneuma. The word translated itself is auto. It simply means the ability to work independently. Think of our word automatic, auto. Automatic, it works on its own. Or automobile, you know, an automobile was a cart that could be driven along the road without a horse. It works on its own. It works without outside aid. So the Amplified Bible uh, translates this 
but the Spirit himself knows our need at the right time. So the emphasis of the AV text here is simply to remind us that the Holy Spirit himself is able to search our hearts without any aid from us, that he knows our needs. Now that fact, the fact that the Holy Spirit examines our hearts and knows our needs at exactly the right time when those needs are troubling us, that he knows how to express those needs in intercession before God better even than we can express them ourselves. It's a wonderful work of the Holy Spirit, but it's not the only indication of his personhood. He fulfills the criteria for personhood in so many different ways, and we see these in Scripture. For example, the Holy Spirit is described as a teacher. He warned, When Jesus warns his disciples about the dangers of persecution, he comforts them with Luke 12 and verse 11. He says, now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So the Holy Spirit is a teacher as a person. He's a person who speaks in Acts 13 and verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul. He is a person who intercedes, he prays for us, as we've seen in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we don't know how we should pray as we ought to pray, the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. And the Holy Spirit, as a person, can be grieved. We're warned in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit, we are taught in the Catechism, is a person. The next thing the Catechist teaches us is that the Holy Spirit is God. He is, together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Now, what does it mean to say that he's true God? He is the blessed third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is many biblical examples of the deity of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus taught his disciples the baptismal formula in Matthew 28 and verse 19, he told them to baptize in the name, singular name, of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, all co-eternal within the Godhead. One name, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. In Genesis 1 and verse 2, the Holy Spirit, together with the Father and the Son, are active in creation. Genesis 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In verse 2, the earth was without form, and void and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the book of Acts, when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit about the, the, the money and the land and the property they had sold, they were considered to be equally lying to God. Acts 5 and verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, 
but to God. And when Paul teaches us that God indwells the believer, he equates that with the indwelling Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Okay, so we're God's temples, our bodies are the temple of God, but it is God the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, because the Holy Spirit is God, there is nowhere that we can go that the Holy Spirit is not there. I want to issue a word of caution here. A decade or more ago, there was a revival in something called Celtic spirituality. It was a fusion of corrupted Christianity with Celtic pagan practices. And the essence of this false religion was that you can see God in everything. You can see God in all of creation. It was actually a Pelagian heresy. For because God was manifested in all of creation, including mankind himself, it rejected the truth of original sin. Saw every man as being essentially good. The British monk Pelagius, the opponent of Augustine of Hippo, wrote, The presence of God's Spirit in all things is what makes them beautiful. If we look with God's eyes, nothing on the earth is ugly. Letters of Pelagius, number 71. So these Celtic spiritualists uh, of earlier this century saw God in the trees and saw God in the birds and saw God in the animals, saw God in the forest and the wind and all this kind of Celtic mysticism. Now I'm only saying this because there have been elements of that heresy that have seeped over into charismatic and new apostolic reformation groups. Prophets, so-called, teaching people that God the Holy Spirit speaks to them through the bird landing on the windowsill beside them, and all this kind of stuff. That's not at all what we mean when we say that the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is a spirit. We cannot see him, but we know he is with us, he is within us, he is around us. Here's how the psalmist describes it in Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Tell you what, let's pause for a minute and let's worship God in the words of that psalm. Psalm 139, verse 3 to 10, My going out and lying down are plain before your view. Before I speak a word, O Lord, it is well known to you. You hem me in behind before you lay on me your hand. Such knowledge is too wonderful to high to understand. Psalm 139, verse 3 to 9.
139, verse 3 to 10. And that was sung to the lovely tune Ayrshire. I really recommend that you pay a visit from time to time to the website www.thesamsung.org where you'll find many, many examples of psalm singing and you can learn tunes and learn the words. Finally, for now, we need to note that the Holy Spirit is, according to our catechist, eternal. Hebrews refers to him as the eternal spirit in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And of course, 1 John 5 and verse 7, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. So the Holy Spirit, in the words of our catechist, is true and eternal God. So now that we've established some very simple and some very basic truths about who the Holy Spirit is, we can then proceed in our next lesson to see what the Holy Spirit does, what is the work of the Holy Spirit, and how we as believers in Christ can benefit from the work of the Holy Spirit. See you next time. So thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you would like to help to get the podcast better known, there's a really easy way that you can do that. Go onto your podcast app on your phone or your mobile device. Search for the Semper Reformata podcast. Subscribe to it. And if your podcast app allows you to, give it a five-star rating. And that will help others to find the podcast more easily. So thanks again for listening.